Welcome to the NLPCourses.com show, where we push past the hype and pull back the velvet curtains of creating a successful life with NLP. Diving into physiology, neuroscience, and linguistics so that NLP becomes a practical tool at home and in your career, moving beyond the techniques so that you can make a name, make money, or make a difference. Tune in weekly if you care more than others think wise as we set out on our quest to uncover the secrets of successful people from all walks of life. Make sure you head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe to receive our newsletter and receive free transcripts of each show. Here's your host, NLP Master Trainer, John Cassidy Rice. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. My name is John Cassidy Rice. I have the pleasure to be your host. And in this session, we're going to start to explore NLP and kids. Now, this is a topic I get asked a lot about. So we're going to probably do several sessions. We're going to start off one here with uh, thinking about young children, around about the terrible twos, three or four, around about those ages. And later on, we'll do one for teenagers, because I know some of you might have some teenagers in the house. But let's get started on the younger children first and how NLP can help us. And one of the things we do need to remember is children are a chance to grow. So some of your biggest assets will be patience, just to slow down. It also reminds me of a story that goes, there was this professor who had no children and decided to write a book called The Ten Commandments of Bringing Up Children. He then had his first child and changed the title to The Ten Rules of Bringing Up Children. He then had his second child and he changed the name of the book again to Ten Ideas for Bringing Up Your Children. Then he had his next child and he changed the title completely to some suggestions of bringing up children. So what we'll find here are some suggestions for bringing up children using some of the ideas derived from NLP. So first off, we'll explore what's driving your child's behavior. What sort of language would really be important? How do we establish emotional rapport? And maybe think of some words that would be useful to avoid. So what drives a child behavior? What drives behavior? Emotions, and that's true for adults as well as children. And one of the biggest differences would be this. Adults have logic, where children are purely emotional. So if we think about what happens, so your emotions drive your behavior there's a body reaction, so some sort of physical response, i.e. your heart rate, breathing, etc. Then thinking kicks in and your, your logical mind starts to interpret the events and then we label the emotion. Well, the last two steps of that, the thinking and the feeling, if you don't have words for the emotions, the sensations going on in your body, it can be quite frustrating because you're just dealing purely with the emotion and the response without being able to take it to the next level. So, okay then, so what if, how could we utilize that idea that children are emotional? And as language starts to develop, we can tap in and connect language of emotions. So let's take something like sharing. 
being kind to other people as an emotion. I know it's a thought form, but let's take it. How do we teach our children to connect with emotions? One, to realise that part of it is put in language and experiences. So teaching by example is a great place to start. Be a role model of what you do with your emotions. And encourage your children to engage with their emotions. So let's let's put that to a context. Let's take sharing, for example. So when your child shares, what should you do? So rather than giving a statement, which is, wow, I'm so proud that you're sharing, that's a good thing to do, because that's coming on from high, if you like. But what if we use questions instead? So when your child shares, you might start with a statement, that was very nice of you to share your toy. Now, did you notice your friend smiled when you did that? How did that make you feel? Now, they might not quite have the words to express that, but what the idea behind this kind of emotional coaching would be is can we start to have ownership of the emotions? So things like, how did that make you feel? How do you think they felt? By doing this, we're helping the child connect the act of sharing, i.e. this emotion, this activity, with an emotional feelings. That does mean you need to be a role model. So keeping in mind that children are emotional beings without the logic, we would then approach it from that emotion, which means how can we get emotional rapport? So asking question is one way. And that may all be well and good, but what if your child's having a tantrum? Well, one of that is to think for yourself, sometimes the tantrum comes about because around about the age two or three, the child wants to start to do things for themselves, like tying their shoelace. And I understand when you're in a rush and you gotta get out of the door, that when they're attempting to tie their own shoelace, it can be very frustration. And as your frustration builds, the child's frustration builds and then explosions. So what can we do? One is emotional rapport. In that situation, slow down. Take a deep breath and just relax. Yes, you might be running a bit late, but we're talking about a lifetime of learning for your child. So what about when it's not a time pressure? What about when you're going to the cupboard and you want to give your child a drink and they want a drink, but yet you want to give them a plastic cup because we know that sometimes young children like to experiment with throwing things. So you prefer them to have a plastic cup, but they want to use the glass cup because mummy and daddy uses the glass cup. So we can do some emotional rapport here by pacing what they want. Yes, I understand that you want the glass cup because mommy and daddy uses that. I would like to offer you either the orange cup or the red cup. Which color cup would you like? And sometimes that works and they'll take one of the plastic cups, but other times they'll be more insistent and want to have the glass cup. And here's our opportunity to teach being careful and exploring having a glass cup. And one of the ways you do that is through play. Play is one of the most powerful teaching tools you've ever come across. I realize we're exploring things that you already instinctively know. Well, maybe we're putting some shape around this. 
So involve the five senses. Have them look through the bottom of the glass so it's like a magnifying glass. Um, you can also add humour in here like, aha, I'm a pirate. Have them taste the glass, have them lick the glass. And what you're doing is involve as much of the senses as possible. Maybe have them fill the glass so they feel the difference between the two. And that gives you an opportunity to explore what it is to be careful with a glass one rather than a plastic one. Okay, so let's turn our attention to bedtime. How do we get that rapport, emotional rapport through bedtime? Now, one of the things to keep in mind, and especially a lot of parents talk about the difficulties with bedtime, is to create patterns so that your child knows exactly what's going to happen. And if going to bed is a fun activity, then your child's more likely to engage with the process. So these are just simple things like reading books, telling stories, maybe just talking about what's happened throughout the day. That simple routine on a regular basis, and the key word there is regular, then what happens is you're creating a time, a transition from the day to the evening. And one of the ways that we do that is to start to soften your voice, to start to lower the lights. And with just those simple patterns on a regular basis starts to tra train your child to move in. So what do I mean by that? So often through the day we're talking off, you know, maybe more upbeat. And then what you can do is start to soften your voice. It's now bedtime and you're starting that process of moving on to the next stages. And within this, we can frame in the child's mind what's going to happen. So in a moment, we're going to get our pajamas on, then we're going to go and brush our teeth, then we're going to go and give everybody a kiss goodnight, then we're going to lay in bed and we're going to read the story about the monkeys, and you'll have a chance just to close your eyes and dream about whatever it is that your child wants to dream about. And notice that that technique will work with adults as well. In a meeting, it's called an agenda, framing, and we talked about that on a previous podcast. So the techniques that work with adults also work with children. But what happens if your child's scared of going to bed? And that sometimes happens, i.e. the monsters under the bed and those types of things. Well, again, we can use the idea of pace, pace, leading. For example, I remember one of my children crying, not wanting to stay in bed, and I, I went up and said, what's going on? And looked up and said, there's a ghost up there. And I looked up at the, where he was pointing and I said, no, that's not a ghost, that's an angel. Come to look over you and make sure you're safe while you're sleeping. He looked up at this empty space and I looked with him. Time really seemed to slow down. And then he went, oh, okay. Turned over and went to sleep. Now, that was lucky. But rather than try and fight and argue and say, no, there isn't there, because remember, children are emotional, not logical, and a logical argument's not going to work, I joined in and paced his map of the world and then led. Other ways that we can do that is maybe, if there's monsters under the bed, to have a flashlight and have a look and let the child have the flashlight so that the monsters disappear. Just very simple, everyday things work really well rather than attempt to be an elaborate. Sponsor of this week's NLPCourses.com podcast show. 
the NLP Practitioner Training, designed to transform your life. Attend the first day completely free. Find out more. Head over to the website to secure your place with the next NLP Practitioner. Just very simple, everyday things work really well, rather than tend to be an elaborate. Now you've all heard the story about the boy who cried wolf. And if you haven't, here's a quick rendition of it. Now what happened was, there was this goat herder, this young boy who's looking after the goats and was getting bored and had been told that if there, if he sees a wolf, then he should cry wolf and the village people will come and save the goats. So he's sitting there and he's sitting there and he's getting bored. So he decides, I need some excitement. So he rushes down to the village shouting, Woof, woof, there's a wolf there. Everybody grabs their pitchforks and everything and makes a loud noise and rushes up onto the hillside. And oh, how the boy laughed. And it was so much fun for the boy, even though he did get told off that a couple of days later, he's laying there. Again, it's very boring. Um, there's only so long you can watch goats without your mind wandering. And he thought, that was so much fun. I'm going to go and do it again. So he rushes down saying, woof, woof, woof. And only about half of the village now came to, to make sure that to scare the wolf off. And again, he laughs out loud and he did get told off, but he thought it was so funny. Uh, a few days later went and he thought, I wonder if they'll fall for it again. So he goes back down saying, woof, woof, woof. And only about a quarter of the village comes this time. And he laughs, and, but it's not as funny as it was before, and he's getting told off again. A few days later, he's laying there, and a wolf does appear. And when the wolf appears, he's scared, and he screams, Wolf, wolf, but nobody comes this time. So why am I telling you this? Because as parents and guardians, one of the most common words that's overused, and we know it's overused, is the word no and you hear that again those threats of no stop that you won't have any sweets if you carry on now because the word no is used so often it becomes background noise and as soon as it starts to come background noise it gets tuned out because you've used it so often without any follow-through what happens is we become unbelievable so never make idle threats. If you say no, you have to follow through. Yes, I can understand if you said something in the moment like you cannot have any sweets and you feel guilty about it and it would, and your child's kicking up. Because one of the things that children do, especially around the ages two or three, is check out your boundaries. Do you mean what you say? And I know it's cliched, but children hope that you mean what you say and keep to your boundaries because then they know where they stand. Yeah, again, that's the same for adults. So as soon as you say no, you get tested on it and a child goes up and goes bang. And if you hold your ground, the next time your life easier. It's not easier in the moment. I understand that, especially when you're out in a supermarket. But when you're at home, when you're in these places later on, life becomes easier. So setting boundaries. Also voice tone makes a big difference to how your child responds to you. So for example, 
When your voice goes up, everything becomes a question mark. When your voice is at the same level, this is statement. When your voice goes down, that becomes a command. And how often have you been walking down the street and you hear a parent go, don't do that. Now that's a question mark. And as a question, you have implied choice. And the child's brain basically goes, don't do that as a question. No, I'm going to carry on. Yet if you go stop and your voice goes down, what then happens, it becomes a command. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, but the ability to use the command voice, then your parenting and your response from your children would be a lot greater. And try it out for yourself. When you're walking down the street and you want your child to stop before they run out to the road, go stop. And as your voice goes down, not only will your child stop, but probably all the adults around them would also stop. So I think one of the key messages as a parent or a guardian is you've now become a role model. Doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do. What do you engage in? If you want your child to be interested in reading, then have them catch you reading physical books. Have books laying around. Read with them, let them read to you. Because what you do speaks so much more volume than what you say. And I think underlying all of this, how do you bring up healthy, happy children? Unconditional love. But you knew that already. So we've just been playing with some suggestions of how to use some NLP concepts within bringing up young children. And we noticed there's, it's not the commandments, it's the suggestions. We talked about children being emotional beings without the logic. And when you keep that in mind, it starts to make a lot more sense. And some of the frustrations of those big emotions come around because there's no label yet for them. And if we remember children are also learning when is it appropriate to use certain emotions and when is it not? Then we started to talk about emotional rapport and the importance of pace, pace before we lead in. And within all of this is playing. Then we talked about framing and making sure that the frames of what's going to happen is very clear. We applied it to things like bedtime. And then we started to talk about the boy who cried wolf. Or as in our case, the parents or guardians who cried no too often. And how it can be drifted into the background. And then we talked about tone of voice. And how important it is to have command voice. Also statement voices. And sometimes you want to make something a question. If you've got any questions about using the NLP in children, please do let me know and I'm happy to do another session on this. This has just been some of my random thoughts of the many ways we've applied NLP with our children. And when my children reach a certain point, which is normally around the age of 14, we've had them attend our NLP introduction course. Please do share your examples of how you've used NLP successfully or unsuccessfully with your children. and do please leave comments below. If we can assist you in any way, let me know. Until next time, John Cassidy Rice. Thank you for tuning in. You were just listening to NLPCourses.com podcast show. 
If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and make sure to head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe to our newsletter where we keep you updated with in-depth NLP topics. Subscribe and stay tuned for upcoming episodes on neuro linguistics, programming, and beyond.